0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. We're going to be in the book of Philemon. How many of you ever have read the book of Philemon? It's really not a book, although we call it a book, it's a letter, and it's not very long, 25 verses And, uh, but it's kind of a special little, little letter. And um, do you like to get letters? How many of you still get letters from somebody? Anybody write letters anymore? Not too many people write letters anymore. My sister was telling me that uh, uh, her letters from my mother have stopped because my mother's gone to a, a, a senior's home and she's just unable to write. And so she said for 50 years since I left home, I got a letter every week from my mother. What a, what a gift. And it's sort of a lost art. I I think it's something that's fading away. We just text, right? And and then you don't have to spell and you can do whatever. But there's just something good about getting even a good text. You get a good text, a good email, it kind of picks you up. Something personal. And this is what this letter is here. This is a personal letter. And there's really no other scripture like it, Uh, you know, for a a letter that Paul wrote to a specific person. He did write to Timothy, but it's sort of written to leaders. Uh, but this is written to one guy named uh, Philemon. And it, and it said to address a personal matter. And when I was thinking about it, um, and I've never preached on it before, and, uh, but I was thinking about it, it's it's, you know, Paul is under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is preserved in the canon of scripture by the leading of the Holy Spirit. So it's really a letter from God to Philemon. I think that's how we need to look at it, right? It's not just a letter from Paul, it's a letter from God. To Philemon, and um, so I was thinking through, and I was thinking, well, what would if God would write you a letter? What would He say? What would He want to tell you? What's He been saying to you? I I think God speaks in a lot of ways. We we believe that He uh, speaks through uh, His Word. Um, By the way, I I finally bought an ESV Bible. This is a ten dollar Bible. And on hardcover and then there's a section for your notes. Uh so you can write notes uh through your uh from your Bible reading. Pretty good deal for ten dollars. Um, I wish I had a head one when I started preaching, I could have had it all filled in by now. Um but anyway, you know, God's he's speaking through scripture. So I'm gonna read some scripture this morning and, and, and some of it is gonna resonate with you. That's what scripture does, because it's a living word, it's a word that the Spirit of God uses to speak to our hearts. I believe God also speaks through the things he's put on your heart. You know, the hopes and dreams that you have and 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 what you've uh, been through, your circumstances, and, and the people that cross your paths, the people in your life. I believe God speaks through that. God's writing a story. Uh, what is the meaning and message of your life? What's God been saying to you all these years? Uh, that's been on my heart a lot lately, and I want you to think about that today because I believe God is... Writing a story with your life. Uh, there's an old uh, rock song. Uh, Woodstock was, uh, uh, said, I feel like a cog in something turning. That, you know, we, that's what we are. We are a part of something much bigger. And we tend to focus on the smaller things in our lives and our own personal little things. And, and I think it's very good to just look at the big part of your life and how do you fit into something much bigger than you are. So we're going to read uh, this letter. Um, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Achippus, our fellow soldier in the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you know God were to say anything to you today in that, he would say, Grace and peace to you, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his word to you. It's his word to everybody at all times. God wants grace and peace and so Paul has a relationship with Philemon. Um, I would imagine that through Paul's ministry, Philemon came to hear the gospel of Christ and came to know Christ. And, and uh, they have, a, a, you know, Philemon is part of a, a house church, and um, Paul is very familiar with these people. So Paul is kind of like a father figure in a way to Philemon and to this church. And, and he's, he does what he always does he starts off with encouraging people. And so if you want to get somebody to listen to you, that's a good thing to do. Start off encouraging them. Start off pointing out the things that are uh, positive and, and, and hopeful and, uh, and uh, good um, so that uh, there would be a hearing. Now, Paul's got a, a point here to make. And the point is that uh, it's, it's what an, a third person called anissimus. And um And so Paul is talking to Philemon about this other guy and uh, we'll just kind of read on to see what he, what he says here. Verse 8, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Again, he's, he's a father figure. He's a spiritual leader over Philemon. And he said, you know, I could tell you what to do. I could order you what to do under Christ because of the authority that Christ has given me. Yet, verse 9, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And listen, that's really the way God... Works like that's what God wants for each one of us. God could say, I could order you, I could thump you pretty easy. It's like that ant that Steve talked about a couple of weeks ago, and Steve flicked that poor ant into the river. Steve, you shouldn't have done that because that, then that frog ate that ant. And, and and so, I was thinking all the while, you're talking about that poor ant, and I'm thinking, Steve, you flicked that ant. <laughs> you <laughs> but you know, like God could say, I could do something, but He said, I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. I would rather you just do it out of love rather than I order you to do it. And, and that's where, where God's heart is. You know, God could, you know, march you around like a robot, but God would rather you love him. And God would rather you love people, not try to control people or manipulate people, but to love people. If you want to get somebody to do something for you, you want them to love you in, in, in doing it, not out of force or, or a command. Verse 9, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So, Paul is, uh, he's become uh, connected with this Onesimus guy, and uh, he has uh, shared the gospel with him in some way, and Onesimus has come to put his faith in Christ. And so now he's like a part of the family, and so he calls him, you know, my child, uh, as Paul would be his spiritual father. Verse 11. Oh, by the way, Onesimus means useful, useful. That's a good name to give a kid, eh? What are you going to call your kid? I'm going to call him useful. I like that. So I appeal to you for my child useful, Paul is saying, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Verse 11. Formerly he... Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So it's kind of interesting. See, something happened. And it seems like Onesimus was a servant of Philemon. And he decided to get out of town. Maybe Philemon wasn't treating him so good. Maybe he was tired of being a slave. uh, And that's what I gather he was. Certainly some kind of servant. And uh, he ran away. And... uh, Maybe he told Paul all about, the, you know, the way Philemon treated him. I don't, not really sure. But Paul is saying, yeah, he's become useless to you. But now he, I've met him, and he's become useful to me and and useful to the Lord. And so he said, I'm sending him back to you, sending me, sending my very heart. He, he's saying, like, you know, this this young man is he's my heart is with him. I, I love him, and and now I'm going to send him back to you because. That's where he needs to be verse uh, thirteen I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness not may not be might not be by compulsion but of your own accord so again Paul is he's trying to work with him he could just send him back and send out orders and said, you better to start taking care of this young man. Because he's not useless, he's useful. But Paul doesn't do that. He, he's, got a, he's got a heart for Philemon as well. And so he's appealing to him on the basis of a, uh, again, of a father figure. Verse 15. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, which is basically a slave, a, a doulos, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so, you know, Philemon would be thinking of, of useless here, and he's thinking that turkey. He took off right when I needed him, and man, if I could get a hold of him. And Paul's, on the other hand, going, wait a minute, this is bigger than you, Philemon. There's something bigger going on here. Maybe God was involved in, in his running away from you so he could run into me. And so I could point him to the living God and he could give his life to the Lord and then he could come back to you and something good could come out of all this. Verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Now, I think there's something that we can take out of this before we go any farther, is that... um, You know, if God is writing this letter to Philemon, uh, he's writing to Philemon about restoring somebody that he's on the outs with. And I think more than likely for most of us, there's somebody in our life that we're on the outs with a little bit. Good chance, right? Maybe not this year, maybe last year, maybe next year, maybe tomorrow. But there's probably somebody that needs restoration in your circle because you have a pretty big circle. There's probably someone who's a bit on the outs, and maybe you haven't even broadcast that. You just think it and feel it. And so the Lord is saying to Philemon, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Again, let's just sort of get off Paul being the author here and and, and look at God being the author, And, and it's the Lord saying, if you consider me your partner, and that's what the, how the Lord looks at his, his people. We're partners with the Lord. It's sort of hard to picture that. Like, uh, you know, Jalen said, he's the vine and we're the branches. But, you know, the vine has to have branches. There's a relationship. There's a, there's a spiritual relationship between God and his people, and he considers us partners. Partners in trying to make the world a better place and trying to reach people and trying to do what's right and good in this world. We're partners with the Lord. So he, he says, receive him as you would receive me. Um, I think that's the heart of the Lord. You know, the Lord said when, you know, when the, uh, when the poor and, and the, uh, the blind and the naked and, and the prisoner and all those people, you know, kind of uh, show up in your life, that's me, Jesus is saying. It's me knocking at the door. It's me saying, help me. That's where I'm at. And so we need to see people the way God sees them. Verse 18, if he has wronged you at all, and apparently Philemon certainly felt he did. Or owes you anything. Probably does. Charge that to my account. I think that's a good way for us to handle people that we're on the outs with. Because sometimes when people have wronged us, they're not going to pay us back. They may not offer us forgiveness or an explanation. They may be oblivious to, to the wrong. And I think this is the heart of the Lord. If he has wronged you, if someone has wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to me. Put it on me, the Lord says. And that, to me, is what the cross is all about. There's a whole lot of times in in this life when you're not going to get an apology. You're not going to uh, get an explanation. You're not even going to get a notice. And what are you going to do with that? Well, you can carry it around and let it boil up inside and kind of chew away at your guts and and make you miserable, well, the Lord says, you could just put it on me. We can, you can put it on me. Well, how can you put it on the Lord? Well, you know, when, when Jesus died on the cross, he, he died for sinners. He died for people's sins. He, he paid the price for everybody. And so every sin has been paid for, really, right? I mean, the, the, the forgiveness has to be received from God, but the, the provision has already been made. And so any wrong that's ever been done to us, He's already paid for it. And I, and I think if we could see that, it might help us be a little less judgmental and a little more conciliatory toward people that have wronged us. Far better than to drag it around like a, an imp, like a weight on our backs for years. The Lord says, just put it on me. Just charge it to me. That's how I read this. I hope you get that sense too. Charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. I don't know how Paul's going to pay it. He's in jail. But uh, he said, I'll pay. You know, if you know, if if uh, if you need me to pay it, I'll pay. To say nothing of you owing me even your own self. <laughs> I love how Paul does that, right? He slides that in there. Yeah, I'll pay. You just don't worry about it, Philemon. I'll take care of it. Not to mention that you owe me your own life. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, Philemon's not going to ask for anything, right? Because... Paul brought him to Christ. And when I read this, I'm thinking, that's my debt to the Lord. Like, I, I owe him my very self. I owe him everything. How am I going to try to exact something out of somebody else, you know, for my own good, uh, when that person doesn't really owe me? I owe God everything. And so I should be charging it to the Lord's account. I should be receiving them as the Lord would receive them. I should be doing all these things. This is how God wants me and you to act. Verse 20, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you. That's what God's saying. Doug, I want some benefit from you. I want something from you. I want your... Your devotion. I want your desire to do what's right. I want you doing what's right. That benefits God. God says, That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something good. And I think when we understand that, we want to give the Lord something good. We don't want to give him uh, our worst, we want to give him our best. If you love someone, you want to give them your best. Refresh my heart. In Christ and the Lord was saying to me Doug just refresh my heart wash my feet bless me I think the Lord would say you bless me you you obey me that'll bless me and I'll bless others and there's this whole cycle that goes on this cycle of life that Jesus said that you know the spirit of God would come in and and flow out of us like a river of living water and and, and water other people's lives What a beautiful picture of of what God wants to do, this cycle of good. Verse 21, confident confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And and Paul had a confidence in Philemon. Philemon loved the Lord. He he was a changed man. And and, uh, and Paul said, I know you'll do even better than I'm asking you. And I think that's what the Lord would, would ask from us. I think you'll even do more than I'm asking here. I think you'll go farther than I'm asking. I think you'll surprise me if you could surprise the Lord with your obedience. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you, as do Mark. Uh, Aristochus Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This little letter written to some obscure guy named Philemon 1950-odd years ago or whatever. Um, here it is preserved and read in 2018. It's pretty amazing, pretty amazing. And, it, and it's pretty amazing that, that there would be something in there that God would have not just for Philemon, but for me and you. Now, I'm going to just sort of um, depart from that because what I was thinking was, um, you know, this whole idea of, you know, what's God been saying to you? And um, I I think it's really important. Uh, You know, I've kind of pondered this. This is one of the last messages I'll preach as a pastor here. And so I'm, you know, what is it, Lord, that you would like me to say? And um, quite often we preach out of what God has been preaching to us. And um, so we're going to take a look at Job chapter 1 for a minute or two. If you'd like to find that right before Psalms. You know, there's, there's been things that God has spoken to me. You know, I've read the whole Bible several times, and and but there's certain scriptures that just have they've been speaking to me for years, and and there's certain scriptures that really speak to you. And and what I, the reason they resonate, and what resonates with me may not resonate the same with you, but there'll be something else that'll resonate with you. And and I think when you 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 know these scriptures keep speaking to us and, and keep um, impacting us, it's, it's, it's sort of a personal message. It's sort of God's personal letter. Um, and, and, and I, I guess the, the, what I was thinking of is this whole idea of faith, this call of faith, you know, this uh, invitation that God has given us, this initial call and act of faith. Will we really believe in God? That's sort of bottom line. Will we really believe in God? So the verse I want to read here is Job 1, uh, 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. that's a pretty big verse that kind of covers everything doesn't it you come into this world naked and you're going to leave this world naked and how are you going to react in between so the the picture here is job who lost all his kids all his kids were killed lost all his wealth and uh had no explanation, no preparation, no warning. Boom, in one day, it was all gone. All gone. Seven kids. And, uh, and uh, he was a wealthy man, all gone in one day. And he said this, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm thinking that's probably the greatest statement of faith I've ever heard in my whole life. I can't imagine anything greater than that. So what does it say to us? Um, You know, we've got a lot of questions, especially when you're younger. You know, what career will I have? Uh, Who will I marry? Where will we live? How will we live? What kind of lifestyle will we have? Those are big questions. And when you're 15 or 20 or 30, and you're just kind of putting those, you're dreaming about those things and, and wondering what they'll be like, those are the biggest questions of your life. And then when you get them settled and then you get to live them out, that's good. That's really good. It's one of the, the joys of life is just getting to live out some of the dreams and some of the hopes and uh, finding that person to live with. It's marvelous. But there's bigger questions than that. And, and those are big questions. But there's bigger questions than that. And I've called them ultimate questions. They come down to this. Who are you? Where did you come from? Why are you here? And where are you going? Those are bigger than these other questions. Because when you are going to uh, leave this world, uh, your career isn't going to matter a whole lot. Uh, And your partner might already be gone. And you might not be living in the home you were living in. You might be in some home. And your lifestyle may be greatly inhibited. And so the questions that are big when you're a young adult... They're very different when you start going through struggles and hardship. And, and so why should we wait until the tough time comes to answer these questions? We should find answers to who are we and where do we come from and why are we here and where are we going? What's the, what's the bigger question than where are we going? You know you're only here for 70, 80, 90 years at best. Some of you, probably less. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is a a statement of trust in God no matter what. Job, nothing worse could have happened to Job. Uh, His wife lived. I don't know if that was a good thing or not Uh, (laughs) because she kind of lost it, and you can't really blame her. But Job held on to his faith, and and it was a trust in God no matter what. What a huge concept. I will trust in God no matter what happens. And it's not just a mere, I believe in God, because, you know, it kind of must must be a God. This is a, will we allow God to be God over our lives? That's a big question. That's a serious question, a serious thought. Because if I allow God to be God over all my life, then I need to trust him with whatever happens in my life. Whatever. So, when, you know, I was reading through Job a couple weeks ago, and loss brings questions. So Job's question was, what did I do wrong? And that's what his friend said. Well, he must have done something wrong, because look at the mess you're in. And the answer is, maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe... You are suffering adversity and hardship because you did something right. That doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense in the world's philosophies and views of things. But it makes perfect sense with the way God looks at life. And sometimes you don't understand why adverse and bad things happen. But, you know, if it's because you might have done something right, then it's a way bigger than you can get your head around. God is doing bigger things than, than we can imagine. We often say, Why me? Why should this happen to me? As though we are exempt from hardship uh, alone from the rest of the world because the fact is it happens to everybody. Everybody suffers in some way. You know, those kids are stuck in a, four kilometers up a cave. Well, some of you might feel like you've been stuck four kilometers in a hole. Sometimes that's what life feels like you go through hardship. So, you you know, you, you say, why me? Well, I, really, the answer is, listen, it's, you're not special. It's for everybody. This is just part of how life goes. What am I going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? Well, you do what Job did put his hope in God he didn't understand he didn't couldn't figure it out he couldn't get the answers he wanted his friends were no help he was kind of alone in this his wife said just die and, and um, he just kept his hope in God he questioned God he doubted God he wrestled with God he argued with God but he still put his hope in God because what else was he going to do Job uh, 28 there's another another verse there, twenty-eight twenty-eight. It it's a, a verse that you'll read in uh, particularly in Proverbs. Um, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. That's another one of those verses that have impacted my life because I, I want wisdom. I spent enough of my life wandering around without any wisdom that when I finally admitted it and realized that I didn't have any wisdom and I was uh, acting uh, foolishly, I wanted wisdom. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord. That's wisdom. Wow. To turn away from evil is understanding. Hmm. made sense because I had turned into enough evil to know that that wasn't any good. And so, this is what I I preached on a couple weeks ago about adversity. Adversity has a higher purpose. The Lord gave, the Lord take away, blessed be the name of the Lord. There's a higher purpose going on than you can figure out. And you're not smart enough to figure out. And you haven't been told all the information, but God is smart enough to figure it out. And God is smart enough and capable enough to work it out. And you need to be good with that. And you can be good with that if you put your trust in God who is greater than everything. Adversity has a higher purpose. It's a test of your faith. Job's faith was tested. Not because there was anything wrong with it, because there was something good about it. It was worth being tested and shown off. God said to Satan, you can do your worst. He won't break. And God was right. And then the other point about it is, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. We don't see it like that. We don't like hardship. I don't really like hardship. I got to keep telling myself the, the words that wisdom says it's a gift. I asked uh, Carolyn Jackson uh, several weeks ago if she would be interested in uh, sharing some of their story. And... Uh, she said, what will I write? And I said, just write what God's been saying to you. Because I, I want to know what, with all that you and Dave and your family have been through, what's, what's God saying, you know? And there's Carolyn and, and Dave. Just They're just putting their hope in God. So she wrote me this letter, and I wanted to read it. Um, it's She just calls it a part of my story. When our son Davey was four, he was diagnosed with neurofib which causes tumors to form on nerves and wrap around them. At five, he had an 11-hour surgery to remove a tumor that caused a blockage on the renal artery from the heart to the kidneys. They told us he probably wouldn't live to turn six. He continued to have tumors removed over the years, and other than high blood pressure, he did very well. He loved the Lord and was always ready to share his faith. I can still see him. (laughs) We were over there back, back in the day, this little boy. <laughs> he had a real zest for life, and his laughter was contagious. He seemed to have less tumors as he got older, and it looked like he would have a fairly normal life. <laughs> when he was 18, Davey and two of his cousins went skiing on New Year's Day in 1989, Davey hit a piece, piece of ice and then a tree and he died on the ski slope in Wentworth. That was a west end. Steve had just started becoming pastor here and it was, I'm sure, an incredibly traumatic event. That's when I realized everything I thought was wrong. I thought that if I did what God wanted me to, then God would do what I wanted him to. It shook me to my core to realize I didn't understand. I had to figure out who I was in the world. Now I had tried to keep so hard to keep Davy well and he was gone. What did God want from me? Davy, Carrie, and I had to find a new normal. Slowly we learned to trust again, to pray again, and mostly I realized how much I needed Christ every day to carry me through. I could not walk away from the one who gave me the strength to go on. Carrie was a very big part of our moving forward, Shania's mother, Carrie. She was so full of life, loved the outdoors, horses, dogs, and her friends. She was incredibly good to me. On special occasions, she would always give us extra gifts, and I knew she was trying to make up for Davy not being there. We would make our Costco runs together and seek out new restaurants to have lunch, We loved those trips together. She gave us two great blessings, our grandchildren, Dave and Shania. When Carrie first got sick, she tried to hide it from us so we wouldn't worry. Then her arm and leg wouldn't work right. And she was dragging them. We we were scared, but figured they'd be able to fix it. I knew God would not take both her children when she was diagnosed with glioblastoma, a deadly brain tumor I still felt she would receive a miracle they gave her the option of surgery and strong radiation on her brain she said no I pleaded on my knees for her to take the treatment but she refused she told me, Mom, you haven't seen what I've seen or heard what I've heard. That Gary had an experience with God, and God showed her something. Something she really couldn't communicate, but something that was better than getting treatment and the possibility of living on. can't see here so I gotta clean up. I asked did God show you this, she said yes. So I said, Whatever you want, that's what we will do. The next two months were unbearable for David and I, West Dave and Shania and all the people who loved her so much. I prayed and prayed for a miracle right to the end. It's just over two years and there are days I still can't believe she's going. <laughs> I remember Carolyn in the foyer saying I can't do this again. Those was two years ago. Every day is a choice. Will I trust God and walk by faith or will I let my emotions run me I know I cannot make it through one minute, let alone one day without him. Some days are easier than others, but most days are a struggle. But if I didn't have Christ, I could not make it through. The love and prayers of my dear family and friends have helped us so much. But in the end, each of us has to walk this life choosing whose hand to hold. I choose Christ. How's that for faith? The Lord gave, the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What's the point of all that? I'm sure she still wonders. I know we wonder. What's the point of such love and such loss? I thought of a couple of things. A faithful testimony glorifies God. She's doing what Job did. I don't understand God, but you're God. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, so I'm going to, it's on you. That glorifies God. It lifts them up, makes them glorious and holy and majestic and bigger than anything we can get our heads around. And it gives meaning to love. The great sense of loss is a measure of the depth of love for children. Like, you know, the old saying, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Like, you, you, you grieve deeply because you love deeply. And there's a power in that. There's a, something precious in that. And great trust is a measure of great love for God. The point of life is to ultimately glorify God who created us. That's the point of your life. Did you know that? The whole point of your life is to glorify God who made you. I didn't used to understand that. And I used to try to run from that. But now I put my arms around it. And I embrace it because it's the only thing that really means anything. Great love and trust and adversity... Fulfills our life. Will we really believe in God? Will we really have faith? I need to take a little uh, nasal break here. So you might want to mute this. Tears tears are good for the soul, you know. Good to cry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're going to disbelieve in God. What are you going to believe then? I want to share one other scripture. Um, a scripture that is spoken to me and probably to you. It's one of the most famous things that Jesus said and it's found in Matthew 11. Um, it's one of those scriptures that I go back to over and over again. Matthew eleven twenty eight: come to me All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's so much in that. (laughs) There's so much in that. There's an invitation. You know, we sang this morning, and the song is the last prayer of the Bible, even so come, Lord Jesus, and we pray that because we want God to come. And God is saying, I want you to come. <laughs> come to me. That's what Jesus' message was, come to me. It's an open invitation. And it's for any time of life, whether you're young or whether you're old but it's not to be presumed upon or rejected until it's convenient. Don't do that. Don't say, I'll wait. I'll do it later. I'll do it when I get everything else figured out. I'll do it when, I'm, when I need to do it, when I'm old. Or Don't wait. Because you can't presume what tomorrow is. You have no idea what's coming tomorrow or next year, all you can do, all you can deal with is what you've got today. That's wisdom. It's for all who struggle, all who labor and are heavy laden. Whether you're struggling with trying to find meaning and purpose in life, or whether you're struggling with strife in your life, uh, maybe you're struggling with a particular sin or, or guilt, Or maybe you have a lot of anxiety or worry or fear. We all do. We all have those things. And they can overwhelm us. And the Lord knows that. And the Lord says, Listen, I want to give you some hope. I want to take some of that off you and give you some hope. Because if you have hope, life gets easier and gets better. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Boy, don't we want some rest. I'm not just talking about a good night's sleep. Although when you don't sleep well, a good night's sleep is (laughs) is all you want. (laughs) Rest for your soul. So you can lie down at night and, and be at peace with your life and your world and the people in it and what's happening. So you're not full of worry and anxiety and fear and strife and guilt and all this stuff. That life puts on you. Rest. So you can know that the struggle and strife and adversity you're going through has some meaning. Because listen, without God, there's no meaning. It's all random. You You want to believe in evolution and the survival of the fittest? Then don't be surprised if it's dog eat dog. And don't be surprised if you're the dog that gets eaten. Don't be surprised if bad things happen, because if it's all by natural selection, then bad things are supposed to happen. The only reason there's anything good supposed to happen is because there's a God. That's the only reason. One of the, the, the songs that have impacted me uh, a lot over the last several years, I know it, it means a lot to a lot of people here, is that song by 10th Avenue North called Warren. I remember the first time I heard it. Just so powerful. Here's the chorus. Let me see redemption win. Well, that's what I want to see. I want to see a good win. Let me know the struggle ends, because sometimes when you're buried under it, you need the confidence and assurance it's going to end, that you can mend a heart that's frail and torn. When your heart's frail and torn, you need to know that it can be mended. I want to know a song can rise from the ashes of a broken life. And all that's dead inside can be reborn. I need to know that, God, because I'm worn. Only God can do those things. Only God can make redemption win. Only God says the struggle's going to end someday. Only God can mend a broken heart. Only God can put together a life from the ashes of a broken life. Only God can cause you to be reborn. All those things you want, all those things you long for, only he can do them. You can't do them and you can't buy them. Only God can do them. And here's the best part. He's given it away. He's given it. He's just saying, just come to me, and I'll give you all you need. Let's finish up the scripture here. Take my yoke upon you. That's the problem. I many of you like having a yoke on you? Basically, uh, you know, a strap around your neck, like a bridle on your teeth. We don't like that. That's the rub. God's saying, I want you to hook up with me. You know, they used to say, I don't hear it much anymore, thankfully, but men used to say about their marriage, otherwise, the old ball and chain. Maybe you said that. Only with other men. You'd never say that in front of your wife. And it was sort of like, you know, the, the, I guess the, 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 the idea was my wife is holding me back, holding me down. And I come to learn that's a good thing when your life grounds you and holds you down. My, wife's, my wife has not been a ball and chain to me. She's been an anchor, a strength, a rock at times for me. She does me good all the days of my life. And Jesus says, take my yoke. A yoke is a, uh, a partnership A yoke with God is a submission to someone greater. Okay, God's greater than you. And Jesus says, follow me, get behind me, get with me, trust me. And that's the biggest problem people have with God. Will you submit to him? Will you do what he wants? I'm here to tell you that's a good thing. I spent the first 27 of my years doing what I wanted and making a mess of everything. And then I got some a bit of wisdom, not a lot, a bit of fear of the Lord. I repented from my sin. I turned from living for myself and, and, and started following him. It was pretty rough for a while, and sometimes it's still pretty rough. It's still pretty imperfect. It's still, sometimes I'm still kind of disobedient, and sometimes I'm not all that willing. Uh, this is way better when I, when I follow him than when I follow everything else. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Some people don't like God. They don't like how he operates. He's big. Yeah, he's big. Yeah, he can do what he wants. But look what he, why did he make everything the way he did? You know, why all this sin and trouble? Why did he do all that? You don't understand God when you ask those questions. That's what Jesus said, take my yoke upon me and learn from me because we don't really know. If we think God is uh, harsh and unfeeling, we don't know him. Because then Jesus goes and says this, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's God talking. God is gentle and merciful and full of goodness and humble and patient and kind. He's all those great things. All of them in more measure than you can imagine. That's what we need to learn. You will find rest for your souls. It's the second time he says that, like real rest, a rest that will change your life, a rest that'll make you someone that other people go, hmm, I got something. There's something different about them. My yoke is easy. One of my favorite all-time Facebook pictures is what Melanie Cote put on there a year or two ago with her two girls. They're, I don't know, what, 8 and 10 or whatever age they are. It was called the Get Along (laughs) T-shirt. What a great idea. And so both these girls had on the Get Along T-shirt. So if you put two people in a T-shirt, there's no room. And after a while... You don't take the T-shirt off till you get along. I don't expect they wore it all that long, but the picture was priceless. <laughs> the girls were like, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great. Sometimes marriage is like that, right? Sometimes friendships are like friendships are like that. Sometimes discipleship is like that. It's easier when we just get along. When we walk in step, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. A lot of people don't want to give their life to God because they think he's going to pile all this burden on them. He's going to make your life miserable and you're not going to have any fun. That's just a big lie. My experience was he just took a whole lot of stuff off me. I feel energetic. I, I feel young. I know I don't look all that young, but I feel young. Inside, I'm, I'm like 30. <laughs> he keeps your heart young. It's because his burden is light. He just takes all that stuff. Not that we don't have trouble. You know the trouble that we've been through. But his hope makes it light. He, he just works in it. So when I think of the scripture, it's from Job and from Matthew. This is some of the message that God has been speaking to me in my life. These things are just so precious to me. And um, So what's the message of your life? You know, if you get the opportunity to come up or, or, or write a letter, um, maybe someday you'll get asked to write a letter about your testimony or you'll get... To give your testimony, what's your story? What's God been saying through your life? I remember when Glenda and I and family were at Village Missions Conference. I'm not sure what year it was; probably around 2000, 2001. And uh, this uh, one of the, s- the speaker there gave this illustration. Now, I can't remember much about it, but it was about a bicycle built for two. And so. The guy's riding through life on his bicycle built for two. He's just on it alone, right? And and he meets Jesus, and, and so he kind of likes what Jesus is saying. And so he said, hop on, Jesus. We'll go ride together. And so Jesus is in the back. I think I'm getting it right, Glenda. I could be getting it wrong. But anyway, at one point, uh, Jesus says, why don't you let me drive? So, yeah, I'm getting a little tired here. Okay, Jesus, you take the wheel, and I'll just... And then he said, oh, we were up and down, and it was precarious and almost going over cliffs and going through lush valleys and green hills and just this crazy ride. And and I'd say, Lord, where are we going? And he'd look back and just say, just pedal. Just pedal. I'll steer you pedal. That's what he's doing with your life. He's going to steer it. And he said there's two roads in life. One road leads to hell, the broad road that leads to destruction. The whole world virtually is on that road, following sin, uh, ignoring God, and heading for hell. Or there's another road. Jesus called it the road that leads to life. It's narrow because there's not that many people on it. Because to get on that road, you need to just turn from sin and turn to God. And what makes the difference? Well, the person that makes the difference is what Jesus did on the cross. At the cross, you lay your burdens at the feet of the cross. You confess your sins, and you just say, Lord, I believe you died for me. I want to live for you. That's what it's all about. God does not want you to come by compulsion. God wants you to come by your free choice because everything you have is something that you get to choose. You get to choose whether you will love God or not, whether you have God in your life or not, whether your life will turn out well, or whether it'll turn out at the end of the broad road. And so what the message today is this, come to Jesus and give him your heart. and Let him take the wheel. You do a way better job and you'll find some rest that you've been looking for your whole life. Let's stand for prayer. Lord, I thank you for your great and precious word, how it speaks life into us. Lord, sometimes it confronts us, it hits us in the face. Um, But Lord, behind it is the gentle, loving voice of God inviting us, calling and asking us to... To just surrender and give our life to you, and Lord, um, I know it's the testimony of many, many people here, and many millions and millions of Christians around the world, that when we have given our heart and life to Jesus Christ, it's just gone away better. You're, you you just come into our life, Lord, and you turn everything into something better, because it's because you're the living God not a remote, unfeeling God, but the living God who even gives us the ability to breathe. So, Lord, bless these truths to our hearts and our life. I pray for Dave and Carolyn today that you would bless them and encourage them. And for all who struggle, Lord, that we would all just look to you, our God and our Savior. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.